Good morning. Glad y'all are here today. Hey, we're uh, we're gonna we just had Thanksgiving last week, so I thought it would be good this morning. We're gonna open up the altar here and let everyone come down and confess the sin of gluttony. If you committed that sin, we're just gonna have you come down. We're gonna lay hands on you and pray that the tryptophans will be cast out of your system. I, I don't know about you, but I ate. Uh, I probably committed the sin of gluttony, and because uh, I ate a whole bunch. You know how, I don't know how many of you, if any of you when you were growing up, if you didn't clean your plate, your mama would pull out like the starving kids in China thing, you know. Nobody had to say anything to me Thursday or Friday on both of our Thanksgivings or last Sunday. We did three Thanksgivings. Nobody had to say anything to me about starving kids in China after they looked at my plate because it was completely clean. Looked like a dog had licked it clean. That's how clean my plate was. So uh, hope y'all had a great time with family. Uh, and, and some of you, maybe you're like, man, I'm glad those people are out of my house. If that's you, I'm glad, I hope you, you know, glad you're here today and celebrating that. But, uh, we're, we're getting ready to, uh, next week, we're going to start a new series of messages, uh, uh, leading up to Christmas and, and we're going to, I'm, I'm preaching next week and then Donnie is going to preach one week. Blake's going to preach one week. And then, then I'm going to close us out on the 23rd when we do Lord's Supper. And it's all on, based on one verse from the book of Isaiah. So if you wonder how, you know, three guys can get four messages out of one verse, you don't want to miss the next month. But it's going to, we're really looking forward to what we're going to be talking about uh, for the next four weeks uh, after today. Today, I'm glad you're here because we're finishing up our series on the book of James. We've been now in the book of James for the last several weeks, really since fall started all the way through today, and we're going to close out the book of James. We're going to be in James chapter 5. So if you've got your Bibles with you, you can go ahead and turn to James. It's in the New Testament towards the back there and, uh, and turn to chapter 5. And I'm going to cover the last seven verses, James 5, 13 through 20. And uh, we're finishing up this series. And, and uh, as I was reading these verses <clears throat> over the last few weeks to, to get ready for today, there was a kind of a big idea that I thought about when I was looking at these of what these verses are talking about because there's a lot of different things that kind of are discussed in here. But to me, the, the big idea that was being discussed in here is, is the idea of us being connected, of us being connected. We live in a connected world. I mean, right now, most of you in here, you have, you have some type of phone that you can get your you get your emails on this phone. You can text people on this phone. You can uh, check your stocks. You can check scores of of games. You can you know t- check out what the weather's going to be like. All right there from the palm of your hand and your phone. And we live in this world now where we're always connected. It used to be uh, you know when someone I, I know folks that. Uh, I remember when I was a kid and I would be in church and we had a couple families from our church that went away to be missionaries and it was like they're going away and they're not going to be home for four years and it's like you, you didn't know what happened to those people until four years later they showed back up at church and the, de- the dude would always be wearing a funny shirt. Missionaries always wore these funny shirts when they came home and, and that was like oh and then they tell you everything that happened for the previous four years. Nowadays when people go overseas you can Skype with them and, and, and talk face-to-face, look at each other face-to-face almost every night if you want to. And so we live in a connected world. I, I remember when I was a kid, we used to go on vacation to the beach, and we would go for two weeks. My dad got two weeks of vacation, and he worked at a bank, and he was required to take both weeks back-to-back. So we got two weeks of vacation for the year, couldn't split up days, and so... He took both weeks of vacation back to back, and we would leave and go to the beach for two weeks, and we went to a place that didn't have a phone. 
And none of us had. Can you imagine nowadays going and telling, hey, I'm leaving. Nobody will be able to get in touch with us for two weeks. Nowadays, we go on vacation, and if the place we stay doesn't have Wi-Fi, we feel like we got ripped off, you know? We, we are constantly connected to each other. Well, the idea of staying connected should go beyond just being able to talk with each other or do FaceTime or Skype with each other. The idea of being connected is a bigger idea when it comes to being connected with our, with our Heavenly Father and being connected to each other. And, that, and when we talk about that, it's not just about staying in contact, but it's about being connected spiritually. And I think these verses of Scripture that in the book of James talk about how we can stay connected. So let me read uh, James 5, 13 through 20. I'm just going to read all of this, uh, you know, one verse right after the other, and then we'll go back and discuss it. So if you've got your Bibles, just follow along while I read James 5, 13 through 20. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. I think one of the first things that we can learn from reading this passage of Scripture here is that we stay connected to God through prayer. We stay connected to God through prayer. There's a lot about prayer in the New Testament. When you, when you read the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or the Gospels, when you read those four books, and those books tell the story of the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus, Jesus talked a lot about prayer. He told stories about prayer. He, he prayed a prayer that most of you, even if you didn't really grow up in church, at least you would recognize that some of you could pray that we call the Lord's Prayer, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Most of you can say that. And so Jesus talked a lot about prayer. But, but let's just be honest here for a minute if we can. We're, we're not really that good at prayer, are we? I mean, I'll just be honest with you. You know, I know most of you look at me and you say, Cliff, you're a pastor. I know that you begin every morning with four straight hours of prayer. You rise at 4 a.m. and pray till 8 in your closet, you know, kneeling down on thumbtacks so you can always be aware of the pain of Christ on the cross. That's what you think about when you, you see us. You, know, you, you probably talk to Donnie and you think, Donnie is so spiritual. He just prays you know, seven or eight hours a day. I don't want to interrupt him at his office because he's always in prayer. But the, the truth is, is that all of us as followers of Jesus, me included, that I, I think that, that we struggle with prayer. I think that prayer is one of those things that we talk about more than we actually do. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but I, I think if we're honest, most of us would admit that, that you have at some point in your life, if you're a follower of Jesus and have hung around church very long, at some point in your life, you've promised someone you would pray for them and then forgotten to ever do it. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. 
And then you see them the next time, you're like, oh, I was supposed to pray for them. Okay, Lord, bless him. You know, right there. So then you can go up and say, hey, I've been praying for you, brother. How, how's that thing that you, whatever it was that, you know, was going on? And, and so, I mean, we struggle, I think, with prayer if we're really, if we're really honest about it. And it, it just doesn't come natural to us. It's a, it's a hard thing. But these verses here, verse 13, it says, Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. And then verse 14, is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. See, the the message that James is sending there is, is that when there's good times in your life, you pray. When there's bad times in your life, you pray. Or as the Apostle Paul said in in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, he put it very succinctly and very, very simply. He said, pray continually. Or if if you remember it from the old King James Version growing up in Sunday school, pray without ceasing. Pray continually. See, our life should be a life where as we go along, whatever the situation is that we're, whether we're enjoying something that we do for recreation or whether we're at work or whether we're with family or whether we're with, you know, by ourselves, that, that all of those times we are spending some time praying as we go along through life. That, that it's, it's, it's a, part of, a part of who we are. But what we tend to do is we tend to only pray at the beginning of where it says verse 13. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. That's when we're pretty good at prayer. Um, my, my, uh, my granddaddy, my poppy, I called him poppy, my, uh, my mama's daddy, he worked for most of his life in a textile mill in Newberry. And... Uh, he, uh, he went to work for the mill when he was 17, and he worked there until he retired. And, uh, and so he, was a, he fixed looms. He was a loom fixer. And, and so what, what he would do is, and, and I don't know if you know, understand how that would work, but, but they wanted the looms to constantly be running. They didn't want them to be down. So if there was a problem and the loom was down, they had this flag they would raise up, so that means that one's broken. And he had just a short amount of time to get that thing moving. And if, and if you couldn't get it fixed fast enough, you'd lose your job pretty quickly as a loom fixer. Well, um, after he had retired, my dad was with him, and they were going through some of his old tools and stuff, and he had this hammer, and it was a ball-peen hammer, and it had a little short handle on it about that long. And my, my daddy said, Poppy, what, what is this hammer for? He said, oh, that's my breakdown hammer. And he said, what's a breakdown hammer? He said, well, in the mill when the loom would, you know, would mess up and and you didn't have much time to fix it, so you'd fix this, this thing, and it really needed a new part, but I could get it fixed good enough to get it running, and so it'd get up running, and he said, and after two or three times of that same part messing up, he said, I'd get aggravated that I had to keep fixing that same part, and they weren't replacing the part, so I'd take that hammer when nobody's looking, and I'd bust that part and just break it completely. He said, and then they would have to come and give me the new part that I needed, and I could take the time I needed to get that loom fixed. That was his breakdown hammer. That's what he called it. And see, when it comes to prayer, you know, I think sometimes prayer is our breakdown hammer. It's our last resort. Once we've tried everything else, you know, we've got this terrible situation and we've tried everything, we've tried to figure it out, we've tried to talk it out, we've tried to do all this stuff, and then our last resort is we pull out the breakdown hammer of prayer and then we pray about it. And that's okay, we're supposed to pray when we're in trouble. It says, is anyone in, in trouble? He should pray, but that's not supposed to be the first time we prayed about that situation. We should have prayed about that situation before it became trouble. 
And then as it became trouble, we keep praying about it. And then we pray about it while the trouble's there and while the trouble goes away. But it's not something that we just wait until it gets so bad and we've got nothing else to do. And then we pull out the breakdown hammer. We pull out the last resort and say, well, I guess, I guess all we can do now is pray. We could have prayed earlier as well. See, I, I think most of the time we pray to get things. That's why we pray. That's, that's really why we pray. We pray to get stuff. You know, I, I, need, a, I need cash. All right, pray about it. I need a better marriage. I, I need a better kid. Uh, I need a better car. I need a better job. I need, and that's when we pray. And we pray for that stuff. And, and you might say, wait a minute, Cliff. That's scriptural. You're right. John 14, 14. Jesus said himself, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. And that's not the only time scripture says that. There's a lot of times in scripture where it says, if you need something, <clears throat> you pray about it. You pray for it. You ask God for it. You have not because you ask not. Scripture talks about that. But that's not the only reason we should pray. See, I think we've gotten to the point where we think that we just go to God with our list of demands. We haven't talked to Him at all about anything else. And now all of a sudden we come, okay, God, this is what I need. You know, number one through five. If you could have that done by, I don't know, next 15 minutes, that would be awesome. Thanks a lot. I'll come back to you when I need something. We, that's the way we, we deal with God in prayer. But prayer is not just asking God for things. Prayer is communicating with God. It's getting to know Him. It's getting, getting to know what He wants for us. See, prayer is more about connecting with God than it is about getting things from God. If you don't remember anything else I say, if you don't write anything else down today on your notes, write down that sentence. Prayer is more about connecting with God than it is about getting things from God. God does answer prayer, and He does bless us with things, but that's not the only reason we should talk to Him. Uh, there was an <clears throat> individual that's been a part of my life for several years now, and um, this person, I wouldn't call him a friend. He would probably call me a friend if you asked him, but I wouldn't call him a friend, and here's why. This is a guy that I only hear from when his life is spinning out of control. I don't hear from him when things are good. There was a time period there where, you know, he would call me maybe 10, 10.30 at night, half drunk, and I'd have to sit on the phone, you know, and listen to him ramble on for an hour and a half about how, you know, his, all, everything had gone wrong. And then, then when things started going better for him, if he started dating somebody so he wasn't lonely anymore, if he got a job, all that stuff, I wouldn't hear from him. Wouldn't hear from him. Sometimes wouldn't hear from him for over a year. And then as soon as the phone would ring and I would see his number on my cell phone or on my home phone, I'd realize, oh, something's going wrong with this guy. Pick up the phone, sure enough, things were terrible. That's the only time he would get in touch with me. Now, what does that say about the relationship I had with him? Would you say that's a healthy relationship? I don't think so. It's not a healthy relationship. If the, the only time he calls me is when his life is terrible and, and when times are good, he has no time for me. That's not a good friend. That's not a healthy relationship. What does it say about our relationship with God if the only time we're communicating with him is when our life is spinning out of control? But when the bills are paid and our marriage is good and our kids are doing what they're supposed to do and we're making all A's, then we don't talk to God. What does that say about our relationship with Him? That's not a healthy relationship if the only time 
We talk to God as when we're in trouble. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. We praise God. We pray to God when things are good and when things are bad and every time in between because it's about staying connected to him. It's not just about getting things from him. I think the second thing that we can learn from this passage is that we can, as we stay connected to God through prayer, I think we can also stay connected to each other through prayer. We can stay connected to each other through prayer. It's kind of a, a different idea if you've never thought about it this way. But look, look what James 5, 14 through 16 says. It says, is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. I th I, what I love about those verses, now, you can get real caught up into, okay, Cliff, what does he mean by anoint with oil? You can get in, if you want to have a big, you know, deep theological discussion about that, We'll talk about that after church, and I'll talk to you as long as you want to, or if I don't understand the answer, I'll let you talk to Donnie. You know? so, but but what, I, what I like about those, those verses in 14 and 15, what I really like about those verses is that it's, it's, a, it's an idea of saying there, listen, when, when times are bad, when you're struggling, share that with the other believers in your life. Share that with the other people that you go to church with. Don't keep that stuff to yourself. And some of you know what it's like. Some of you know what it's like to, to live out that as any one of you sick. Now, we're, when, when, when he, I don't know exactly what James was talking about here, but I don't think he was talking about a sinus infection or the common cold. I think when he's talking about is any one of you sick, it's, it's the same thing that some of you have dealt with in your life. Some of you know what it's like to be in the doctor's office and for him to come out and him to say the word cancer. Some of you know what it's like to sit there and go to those treatments, to go to dialysis or go to, go to chemotherapy or, or to do all that stuff or to sit with somebody when they're doing that. You know what that's like. And during times like that, James says we should share that with the other believers you, you should not keep that kind of stuff to yourself. We should stay connected to each other, saying, this is what I need you to pray for me for, and I want to pray for you too, and we stay connected to one another by sharing those difficult times. And then verse 16, you know, this is when it really gets radical here in verse 16, when it says this, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. See, what we want to do so we want to cover that stuff up. We don't want anybody to know about it. We don't want our husbands and our wives and our kids to know about it, much less people that live outside of our house. Why would we want to share our sins with somebody else? But see, the, the thing about it is, is that when we do that, then, then what happens is there's a healing that happens for us. It's a spiritual healing when you, instead of covering up what you've got going on, you're honest about it and you share it with somebody else. When I was growing up, I read a book. It was my favorite book as a kid. I probably read it the first time. I was probably maybe fifth grade or so. And, and then from then to the time I graduated from high school, I probably read that book 15 or 20 times. It's a book called The Outsiders. And it's a book about 
kids that, uh, it's like gang kids, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And, and then they made a movie uh, out, of the, out, of the, out of it when I was in high school, and I went to see the movie, and then when it came to the dollar movies, I went to see it like five more times after that. And, uh, and that my favorite character in, in the book was a character named Dallas Winston, and he was played by Matt Dillon. Here's his picture. That made me like it even more because when I was in high school, I thought Matt Dillon was like the coolest dude that ever lived, and I wanted to be Matt Dillon after seeing that movie. But the reason I like the character of Dallas Winston in this book is because he was, he was smart, he was tough, but the thing that, the thing that appealed to me most as a, as a high school boy, he was independent. His whole philosophy of life was, I can do everything myself, I don't need anybody's help, and if I don't get close enough to people, then I won't get hurt. And there was something about that, that reading that as a, as a 15-year-old boy, that I would read that and I would think, yeah, that's the, way, that's the way a real man lives his life. He doesn't need anybody's help. He can do things on his own. And, and he doesn't have to worry about getting hurt by people emotionally because he kind of stays detached. And that was the way that the character of Dallas Winston lived his life. And I liked that when I read that. And I even, I even wanted to live like that as I got older in life. But here's the thing that, that I'm learning, that I have learned and I'm, I'm continuing to learn, is that that's an unhealthy way to live. That that's an unrealistic way to live. You cannot live your life where you constantly keep everything to yourself and where you refuse to be connected with other people. You see... Staying connected to others, to other believers that, that can encourage you and can, can build you up and try to help you live like you're supposed to live. Staying connected to those kinds of folks is not just a good idea. It's necessary for your spiritual survival. That if you try to live the Christian life completely isolated, all alone, I'm not going to share my feelings with anybody. I'm not going to share my struggles with anybody. I'm not going to share my pain. I'm not going to share my sin. If you try to live like that, you will die spiritually on the inside. It can't be done. God has designed us to live in community with other people. One of the things that we talk about here all the time is that we want you in this church to develop real relationships. The way you can develop real relationships is be honest and open about who you are. In, in verse 16 where it says there... Um, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. That, that's talking about being humbly honest about your sin. It's not talking about telling all the details of your sin. Nobody wants that. You know, there's an old joke. I won't tell it from up here. But there's an old joke where, uh, where you know, there's a guy in church and he's getting people to confess their sins. And he's saying, tell it all, brother, tell it all. And this guy stands up and he says something way, way, way out of line. And the preacher says, dang, brother, I don't think I'd have told that. You know, that... That's not what we're talking about when we're talking about confess your sins to each other. It's not like, you know, going into your life group and giving every, you know, nasty detail about something you did. But it's being humbly honest about the fact that you are a sinner. And you can say, to, you know, to your life group or to your, to your group of friends that, that you trust, you can say to them, listen, I got a problem with, with gossip. I need you to pray for me. I got a problem with lust. I, I got a problem with, with greed. I got a problem with, with cheating on, on, uh, at, at my business and skimming money off the top. I got a, you know, whatever it is. And you can be honest about that. And you don't have to give all the details. But it's being humbly honest about your sin. I've, I've had this thought in my mind for the last several months that 
I really believe that being honest about our sin and our pain and our struggle, that's the best way to connect with other people. I, I, think, it's, I think it's way easier to connect with other people by being honest about your pain and your sin and your struggle than it is about sharing your success. If I hear you share your success, I might not be able to connect with that because maybe I don't feel successful in any part of my life. If you're constantly telling me, man, I've got the best marriage. My wife is the best. She's awesome. My kids are perfect. They make straight A's. And maybe I'm sitting over there thinking, man, my kid just failed algebra and me and my wife fight all the time. I can't connect with you there. But if there's, a, if there's an honesty about what you're struggling with, th- then it seems like that we can make a better connection. See, I, I think that we connect with one another more deeply through our failures than through our successes. And, and the, one of the places I see this play out all the time is in our life groups. I don't know if you've ever been a part of a life group. If you have not ever been a part of a life group here at Freedom, I want to encourage you, we're going to, in January, we're going to have sign-ups for the next round of life groups that will start in February. And I want to encourage you to sign up for a life group in January and start coming to it in February. Because one of the things that happens in life groups all the time, and, and my wife and I have, have been privileged to be parts of life groups that, that are about marriage and they're about raising kids. Those are the two where we've really seen this happen. You'll be five or six weeks into this life group about marriage, and one, one night, somebody will say, you know what, I am so glad we did this life group, but because before we came here, I thought that we were the only couple that fought all the time. But after being in here with y'all, I find out that y'all struggle too. Or we, we did the, the life group about raising kids, and after three or four weeks, you know, somebody shared, man, I thought my kids were the only ones that I couldn't hardly get to obey. I'm glad that y'all have to, you know, be on your kid's case all the time too. Because people connect when you share your, your struggles, when you share your pain, when you share your sin. People can connect with each other. And then what happens when you do that, according to verse 16, it says that when you confess your sins to each other, pray for each other so that you may be healed. There's power. There's power in being honest about who you are and people coming along beside you and saying, I'm going to pray for you about that. I'm going to stand by you as you walk through that. And then as you do that, look at verses 19 and 20. Look at one of the results of when we begin to be honest about our sin. It says this in verse 19. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. When I read that verse 19 and it says wander from the truth, that I grew up in church, so you know, forgive me for this, but I've been in church my whole life. I immediately thought of the old hymn, Come Thou Found of Every Blessing. You remember there's a, there's a part in there, you know, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And I thought about that as soon as I heard it. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. There's a lot of truth in that. Because all of us, from time to time, you can feel like, man, I'm doing so good. I'm following Jesus. And the next thing you know, you find yourself wandering off over to here and getting, getting you know, distracted and, and spending time doing something that's not godly. And all of us struggle with that. All of us struggle to stay on the righteous path that, that Jesus has laid out for us. And we are all prone to wander. And so what verses 19 and 20 says, that if we have... 
if we have already connected ourselves with other believers, that when that wandering time comes for us, then we have, we have given others permission to come into our life and say, this is not right. What's going on is not right. I love you. I want to help you get back to where you're supposed to be. The sad thing is, after being in church my whole life and serving on church staff for most of my life, the sad thing is, is that what oftentimes happens is that when people need other Christians the most, that's when they choose to separate themselves from the church. When everything's going good, they're there every Sunday, they're at life group, they're serving, they're involved, and then as soon as the marriage starts going south, you don't see them anymore. What happened to them? Well, they're, they're having marriage problems and they're too embarrassed to come to church. Or their kid got arrested and they're too embarrassed to come to church. Or they're dealing with this struggle, they're dealing with that struggle. And they've decided that what they, the best way to handle that is to separate themselves from, from, the, from the encouragement and the love that they could receive in church. They've decided to separate themselves from that. And when that happens, they, they die spiritually on the inside. They are turning their back on the healing that could happen if they would then instead do what verse 16 says and come to the group of believers that they trust and confess their sins and be healed and ask for help. Help us. We're wandering from the path. Help us get back to where we need to be. The last two verses that I want to read and just remind you of, verse 17 and 18. James, James goes back to the Old Testament to the story of a man named Elijah. And it says this, Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. When you read the Old Testament, and especially you read the stories of Elijah, there are these amazing stories where Elijah did crazy stuff, like call down fire from heaven and pray that it wouldn't rain, and, and it doesn't. And then pray that it would rain, and it does. And raising kids from the dead, and just all this stuff that Elijah did. And we think, man, I want to, you know, I wish that I was as godly as Elijah, and I wish I had as much power as him. And I love that James says, Elijah was a man just like us. Elijah didn't have any special power when he was born. It wasn't like he was born and God said, here, you're the most powerful man that's ever lived. Now, he was born, he was, a regular, he was a regular man just like we are. But here was the difference between Elijah and us. Is that the day that Elijah prayed for rain, that wasn't the first time he'd pl- prayed to God in a while. The day, that, the day that he prayed and asked God to bring down fire from heaven and burn up all the prophets of Baal, that wasn't the first time that he'd prayed in two or three weeks. Elijah was connected to God constantly through prayer constantly through so when, so when the time came when it came, t- came time to to pray and ask God to to take away all the rain he knew that's exactly what God wanted to do so it was just a matter of saying God I know this is what you want so I want to pray and ask for you to do that because I'm so connected with you I know that what your path is for me I know what your path is for this country I live in I know what your path is for your church and all I'm doing is I'm just staying connected with you through prayer and understanding that and trying to do exactly what you want me to do see Elijah was a man with no power who prayed to a God who had all the power just like we can be we're coming up on Christmas time yesterday 
my wife and I spent almost all day getting all the decorations out, and our girls were doing that, and the house is all decorated now and Christmassy, smells like Christmas, looks like Christmas. Walked outside this morning, it felt like Christmas. But the thing is that what I want us to remember is that Christmas is all about God coming to earth to make a connection with us. And we have an opportunity just by opening up our mouth and praying to Him to stay connected with Him day by day by day. We sang songs before I got up here to preach about the greatness of God and and how awesome He is. What a a blessing it is that, that we can not only sing about that God, but that we can talk to that God. That we can be connected to Him. We can hear what He wants to say in our lives. And so, as you celebrate Christmas, as we get ready to to celebrate Christmas here on Sundays, and you celebrate that at your homes, however it is that you do that, think about the lengths that God went to to make a connection with us. The fact that He would come to earth in human form as a baby, and He would go that far to make a connection with us. And then think about, okay, how can I stay connected to Him? And we can do that through prayer, through talking to Him, through asking Him, what do you want me to do, God? What do you want for my life? I want to follow you every moment that we have an opportunity, when we wake up, when we go to bed, when we go throughout our day. I'm going to pray for us. And we're going to sing a song and go out of here excited about the fact that we can be connected to the God who created the universe. But as I do that, Um, I want you to think for just a minute about your own life. Some of you in here today, you're not connected to God because you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior. Jesus who came to earth so that we could be connected to God, you don't have a relationship with Him. And so it's impossible for you to have that connection that I'm talking about. But all you have to do, if if you want to have that connection with God, you have to go, you have to understand that you can only have that connection through Jesus. And all you have to do is say, Jesus, I know I've sinned, I've done things wrong, and I need you to forgive me of those sins. I believe that you died on the cross so I can be forgiven. That's how simple it is. Understand you've sinned. Believe that Jesus' death on the cross can forgive you of that sin, and then ask him, to do that for you. So if you need to make the the first connection with God, I want you to do that as I pray. You pray those words yourself. And if you've prayed that at the end of the service, I want you to come tell me. I want you to tell one of our staff. I want you to tell somebody in the band, somebody with a name tag on before you leave, that you prayed the prayer to make that connection with Jesus, to ask him to forgive you of your sins. And if you're already a follower of Jesus, don't go through tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday without talking to Him. Stay connected to Him this week and be amazed at what God wants to do in your life. Let's pray. Father God, thank You for Your Word. I thank You so much for the book of James and what we've learned together over the last several weeks in it. And Father, thank you that I know that right now as we're talking to you that you hear what we say. 
Not only that you hear it, but you care about what we say. You care about what goes on in our lives. And you want us to know you better. As we get ready to celebrate Christmas, get ready to celebrate the birth of your son, as we do that, Lord, I pray that we would be reminded of the great lengths that you went to to be connected to us and help us every day as we live life in 2012 to do what it takes for us to stay connected with you. Help us not to be distracted by the things that distract us, but instead to keep our focus on you. Thank you for this church. I thank you for each person that's here, and I pray that you bless them this week, that they would go out of here and know you better than they did when they came in. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.